and welcome back to the ABC Movie Show. My name is Bo Allen. I'm Jacob Rodier. And oh man, it's been a it's been a good week. Uh, after we get through some some good news and then some not so great news, um, the we we are going to start off today with the Independent Spirit Awards. Which when did that happen? Over the last weekend? Um, yeah, it was a couple days ago. Yeah, it's it's hard to keep up with this past shows Sunday when it gets going. Um, the okay so the independent awards spirit independent spirit awards oh my god uh just looking at this list of winners and noms and stuff I, it, it was a good showing they had this year i like what they contributed to their award season i feel like the independent spirit awards are usually pretty consistent because i think movie snobs in particular really care about this one or maybe not care about this one but this is where they go to see their um movies get the, their favorite movies get talked about maybe the yeah Oscars. i mean they're they're all independent movies which is fun right and um and they're usually like lesser known great movies that don't get the normal awards buzz that other movies do right uh yeah it's and it's usually a fun little ceremony too they i feel like they have I wish it was a little bit more mainstream because I think they have a really uh, a fun time with how they do it. Yeah, it was in- great. I saw um, – um, hold on. What? Oh, sorry. I thought my uh, garage band stopped recording. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we're good. Um, Don't tell people we use garage band. That sounds like we're broke. No, we use uh, these high, <laughs> highly expensive <laughs> softwares that we can't name, so we just call it garage band. Right. Um but for the best male lead, um, Simon Rex won for Red Rocket. And I was watching his speech, and the first thing he said on his speech, he's like, I would like to thank the Independent Spirit Awards for my uh, long prosthetic dick. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like showing off because he, he, he showed his dick for like most of the movie. Right. Such an eloquent speech from Simon Rex. <laughs> yeah. But it was great. But, Everyone just seemed to be having fun the whole time. It was good. It was good. Um, and you know, I I feel like also who hosted it this year? I can't remember. I don't um, know. I I think I feel like they've always had good hosts though. I remember um, Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman. Oh well, Nick Offerman, yeah, already great. But um, I remember when they had Nick Kroll and John Mulaney do it, and John Mulaney did that amazing bit about Timothy Chalamet. Oh yeah. And, uh, He's like, my wife is in love with that Timothy Chalamet kid. And that was right, you know, before the the huge boom when he was still doing these indie movies. Um, I thought that was just such a perfect fit. Um, yeah, this one's cool, too, because they're husband and wife. So it's a nice little, like, couple host. Oh, yeah, they're both hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, so Taylor Page winning for Zola. I'm glad she got some recognition for that. I don't love that movie, but I thought she was very good in it. Yeah, um, I'd rather, so I saw The Novice, which I talked about a couple episodes ago, and that was right. an incredible movie, and I thought Isabel Furman was amazing in that. I really think she should have won that, but I, I love Taylor Page, and I thought she was great in that movie, too. Um, also, speaking of Isabel Furman, I, after I watched The Novice, I totally forgot that she was in The Hunger Games, too. She was, um, I forget what district she was from, but she was one of the contenders, um, she was like i think she teamed up with like the, the the uh the group of people that like had a little posse in the beginning and then died later on um but yeah. it, it was cool seeing her because she was super young in that movie and then novice she's kind of like college age now a little older um but yeah funny funny little coincidence 
Um, another win for Troy Kotzer here. You know, I think I think he can get that Oscar. He's having a he's having a hot streak right now. I can definitely I mean, see it happening. You know, I don't. It's it, it doesn't look too. The odds are looking better and better with another, every uh, win he gets. Mm-hmm. It's just the odds are stacking up. It, I don't think J.K. Simmons and Kieran Hines are gonna put up much of a fight, but I'm I am the the power of the dog guys are probably his two main competition, and they might split the vote. Honestly, it is possible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the big win at the Spirit Awards was the Lost Daughter uh, this yes. year. It won best feature, best director, and best mm-hmm. screenplay. Which great, great for Maggie Gyllenhaal. I can't wait yeah. to see what she does next. Uh, that, I think I've said it on here before. I didn't particularly love that movie, but I did like how she. I did like her as a director. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it was also nice to see Come On, Come On nominated a bunch, almost in like every category, mm-hmm. which is great. It didn't end up winning anything, but it's cool to see at least get some recognition because they got shafted at all the other awards. Awards. Uh, I still have not seen this movie so why was Mahershala Ali not the uh, best male lead nomination from Swan Song mm, he, sh- he should be um, Udo He's Kier not. what yeah um, are you doing a quick google search to see who that was yes because you're actually thinking of the other Swan Song different Swan Song there's I two Swan that. Songs that came out um so yeah, this what? is from the other Swan Song. That's a that is a different Swan Song. Yeah, there's two that came out last year, but it should have been the other Swan Song, Mahershala's, that was nominated. <laughs> he got snubbed in two different ways. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Wow, that is wild. What a mix-up from us. Not a way to do your research, Bo. Um. <laughs> also, I want to shout out Shiva Baby. Finally, won something. Uh, it won the best feature for made under five hundred thousand dollars, which is great. I did see that um that is the like especially like with the state of movies now like making a movie for under five hundred thousand dollars is such like a big like yeah i feel like that's not common anymore even with these indie movies you know well yeah well also it was just an nyu college thesis film right which was even better crazier that they even won and uh um one of the actresses is from connecticut so i have to stand um, I'm a huge fan of all of them, though. They they did a great, great first feature, and I'm excited to see what they do next. I'm wondering if they have their budget. The budget, oh, that's the gross. They don't have the budget listed on IMDb. I'm sure I wonder it's how super much they small. Actually, oh, yeah, I was about to say, I wonder how much they actually spent on it. I'm sure they get a grant, but it's probably super, super small and a lot of connections. <clears throat> it's NYU. Okay. It says it's $200,000. Okay, it's actually uh, bigger than I thought. Producer Kieran Altman managed to secure some funding from his parents. Ah, there we go. Uh, if your parents are blue on on a, on Wikipedia, and Ryu, baby. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's how we do it. Um, <laughs> just like every indie artist these days, <laughs> that's it's gonna be these indie filmmakers with blue <laughs> named Wikipedia parents. Um. All right, so moving on to a not so great example of a uh, of an award show, we got just more and more stuff about this terrible, terrible Oscars decision. They oh, just keep fucking up. They're just going a downward slope. Um, yeah, it's just 
They so they came mm. out trying to defend why they made this decision, and they claimed that it was Disney slash basically ABC, but it's basically Disney who right. was behind the decision of pulling the eight categories. Apparently, they brought this up two years ago uh, for the Oscars. They said mm-hmm. they it was like a split last decision to keep them in. Um, I guess the the COVID Oscars they didn't care, so they left them in. Um, but now this time they brought it back up and they made the decision to pull. Um, and they threatened the Academy to cancel the Oscars altogether or just not show it on live TV on ABC if they didn't pull the categories. So that's the, the why they're claiming they took them away. Which, I mean, it does seem like a, a Disney decision, but... Everything's a Disney decision. Yeah, and it's just sad. <laughs> it's just really sad to see. And then we've had like a bunch of directors now have come out, and like Spielberg, Villeneuve, uh, Del Toro. Just a bunch of huge directors came out showing their disappointment. Um, and the the head of the Oscars, um, David Rubin, I forgot his last mm-hmm. name. Um, <laughs> he's saying it is very, very unlikely it will change back, which is just sad to see when everyone is kind of not liking this decision. So looking at this, like, I think there's still, I mean, we know they're still going to broadcast the winners, but I think they're still going to broadcast the speeches and are going to be like, and our nominee for this one, our nominees for this one, and then do a slower, you know, drum roll or a quicker drum roll for it. And then just show the pre recorded stuff. But my thing is going to be is if they're all, if all the winners are like, we're not going to go up there because this isn't being shown on the live Oscar ceremony. What the hell are they going to fill that stuff with? Yeah, also that, for it. but, like, also, if they're showing, like, with the pre-recordings of these things, why not just show it live? It's going to take up th- the same amount of time. Well, the idea is that that way they'll be able they'll be able to cut it all down and just, like, sh- like probably shave off enough to get, like, 10 minutes extra total spent somewhere else. Which like, is ridiculous. Right. I'm not, I'm not defending it. I'm just yeah, explaining yeah, what's yeah. going to happen. Um, yeah. Okay, and oh, well, here's another thing that kind of makes – it doesn't make it make sense, but part of it is to just keep the show even to three hours because I feel like it goes over every year too. I think that's Yeah, part of I guess, but I feel like there's other ways they could have sped, sped this up, no, like yeah, we talked it's about. It's just... less, less of the acts and the fucking comedy skits from the hosts we don't like, but that's not how they're going to do it. They're <laughs> Yeah, the, it's just sad to see that everyone is complaining about this decision and they're just not going to revert back. They don't care. All they care about is getting the most views possible. Yeah, this is – and speaking of most views possible in Disney, um, they did – another Pixar movie went straight to streaming. I, I did it – it got a theater release, correct? But it did not – it was also released for free on Disney services. Are we talking about Turning Red? Yeah, sorry. The so most the most recent Pixar is what I meant. So to yeah, say. it comes out this Friday. Um, but no, it's getting zero theater release at all. Oh, really? Which is insane. Which is the same thing that happened with Luca and Soul and a little bit of Onward. Onward was like right when Onward got a little bit of a release. Yeah, because it happened right when COVID started, so it got like half release, half Disney Plus. Um, but still, it's it's just so upsetting to see that like. Turning Red, the reviews came in, and they're, like, amazing. They're incredible. They're really, really good, calling it one of, like, Pixar's best films ever, which is crazy. Um, and they're still just putting it on Disney+, Plus, which is insane when they put – when Disney puts other films in theaters, like Encanto, and um, there's another one, I think. 
Well, do you know what the difference is? It's not Pixar. It's Disney. It's Di- yeah. It's Disney. And even though Disney owns both, they are favoriting their own animation studios. Which is really sad to see because Pixar makes way, way better movies, and it's way more quality too. So here's another thing that I that might also be part of it. Um, I think it. Pixar's quality is better. I wonder if part of it is like if we keep these movies just to the streamers, people will sign up to oh, watch these movies. Yeah, it's totally like a money decision. I think. And like, they're like, we can get money by leaving these Pixar's on streamers because people are going to sign up to watch them. Yeah. Like, even adults will sign up to watch these. Right. But our stuff that, you know, doesn't typically make as much money, we're going to put out in theaters. I think that's the reasoning, too, because. I read in one of these articles that came out about this. Um, well, one is that everyone at Pixar is, is completely pissed about this, well, yeah. apparently, which totally makes sense. They work so hard on this, and it's going straight to streaming. Um, but they also said that their reasoning was because of COVID and theater and that it would not make as much money in theaters, which is completely bullshit because Sing 2 just came out. Now it's like one of the most popular movies and made the fucking Oscars right. popular vote. And it made over three hundred million in theaters, box office. It's just I think they're just coming up with excuses just to try to get people on their platform. It's it's very very strange, and it's just sad to see because these movies are looking great, and you want them to get the widest release possible, and also just have them in theaters because they're better experiences watching in theaters. Um, but yeah, it's just sad to see. Like I just wonder when if Disney will ever put them Pixar movies back in theaters or they're just going to keep putting them on Disney plus. I would like to say, I hope that I think they will. I I don't know though. Like everything right now is so it's all up in there. It's yeah. It's, it's, there's nothing definite. Like I could, there's not, well, Oh, well hang on. They definitely will. Why is that? Lightyear? Lightyear. Lightyear's a Pixar movie. And you think they're going to put it in theaters? Oh my God. Yeah. Lightyear is definitely going to be in theaters. Yeah, I think it's too big of a movie not to. It's it's already got a theatrical release date for um, June seventeenth. Okay, so there we go. But it's just sad to see that like they're only putting like branded movies or sequels or prequels or whatever in their theaters and not an original movie like this. But also, it's like I think a fully Asian represented movie, like Asian director, Asian actors. Right. It's about Asian family, and they're just throwing it on Disney Plus. I wonder if this one is going to be behind the Disney Plus paywall of $15, you know, 15 or $20. I think it's 15 I think it's free or, this one. No, 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 no. Sorry, I meant to say Lightyear. If Lightyear oh, will, be, will be free behind the paywall or off the service completely, and you have to go to theaters to see it. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if they're going to do a dual release or not. That is going to be – ooh, man. That would the, – the, the Turning Red people would have uh, – I mean, it would be bad. Yeah, that would be insanely bad if they don't put it on Disney+. Plus. Wow. Um, I, yeah, just, I just feel bad for Pixar right now. They're just getting shafted left and right. Um, and it, it's sad to see. I still wish we I could have watched Soul in theaters. Man. Yeah. I wanted to see that one in theaters. That would have been crazy. Yeah, because one, it was visually really appealing. It was like super hyper-realistic animation. And the music, too. Like You want to see that on like the loudest speakers possible. Yeah. Oh, man. This is a hell of a transition, but speaking of loudest speakers possible, what did you see the Batman in? Did you see it like an IMAX or anything? Uh, no, I saw it in a Dolby theater, like the R- oh, or BTX shit. thing that we have. Mm, damn. Yeah, it was nice. 
Um, I, I remember you you seen a normal theater. I saw it in the the GTX, which is like, you know, it's not IMAX, but it's a huge screen and it is better sound quality because yeah. Athens doesn't have any IMAX or anything like that. Yeah, we but. I think we saw it in the same type of theater then. Like mine's called yeah. BTX, same thing. Right, but it's Dolby sound system and a little bit bigger screen. Um, mm-hmm. But it just, I think we have different trailers because you said you saw the Northman trailer. You didn't have the Northman? No, I did not. I think we had different trailers, which is interesting. I was sitting with two of my friends, and I realized what I was watching like halfway through it when my buddy nug- nudged me and went, oh, man, I've been waiting for this since I saw the trailer. And I was like, wait, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was trying to cover my eyes, and I was like, ah, it's just I'm just going to watch it. Yeah, I was getting ready after each trailer. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. But it, it never came. It was all just Dude. like Marvel or uh, Morbius or whatever. Dude. Um, but either way, I'm excited. A bananas trailer. I was like fist pumping at the trailer, man. Like it was crazy. I hope they didn't give too much away. Um, I feel like Eggers is cutting a good trailer, though, right? Yeah, like, no, they usually do. Um, um, but either way, yeah, it was definitely worth seeing Batman in uh, a bigger theater. Because my God, were the visuals and audio incredible? Um, speaking, well, the reason I wanted to bring up the theater is because I am going to see it again on Thursday, the day this is coming out. Uh, in an IMAX theater. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm going with my. It'll be my girlfriend's first time seeing it, and I was like, it is gonna be fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm man. interested to see what the difference is because I don't think they shot the whole thing on IMAX, so I'm wondering how much of it they shot. They with also. IMAX cameras. <laughs> there's also an option at uh, the Regal Cinema in Atlanta for uh, they have they have like a VIP an IMAX. An RTX, which is Regal's GTX, uh, you mm-hmm. know, whatever thing, and then 4DX, which I was wondering if it means like 4D camera quality, like like rescanned onto a 4D thing. No, it is nah. seats moving around, like fog machines, water sprays, <laughs> like crazy ass audio, and I was like, I kind of want to do this because for that movie especially. But the thing is, IMAX is like so loud in itself that the chairs Uh, already rumble because of how loud it is. So if you're going to one of those theaters, it's like double the rumbleness. When I went to the the AMC Dolby special thing and I walked in, I I saw The Godfather with this. uh, I I think you did too. You saw The Godfather in the Dolby one. and so I think it was only playing in Dolby actually. And I saw the speakers around it i was like oh i'm about to get my shit rocked and then like when it does the thing at the beginning to show you the sound quality difference and the video quality difference i was like this is about to be the greatest thing i've ever seen like it was amazing that's a great ad they have it really shows the difference holy hell when it says yes we're still on with the black with the black oh my god that's good it's insane i was like technology i was like technology movie theaters if you're not going to movie theaters you are missing out oh man yeah if you can if you can see a movie in a dolby theater especially amc's dolby do it because it's worth it the batman probably would be crazy in one of those yeah so over the weekend it made what 134 million at the box office so people are getting out to see this which is great it's and like which is shocking for a three-hour movie. Right. I think so. 134 like feels low when you say Batman movie, but then when you think about what this movie like really is, it is a lot. Like it's a three-hour, like such a 
dark, such dark cinematography, it might as well be in black and white, <laughs> slow burn detective movie. And like people are going to see it. I, I'm sure a shit ton of people went to see it on opening night and then enough people heard about it and were like, oh, yeah, this is something I'm interested in because I don't think anybody's going into it thinking it's going to be like an action-packed movie like The Dark Knight Rises. I think everybody went into it knowing it's a longer, slow detective movie. Yeah, and it just seems to be getting a lot of good buzz. Man, I hope there's more. I I just love, like, these type of crime films as a genre. Like, David Fincher is the top two or three director for me. Mm -hmm. And, like, I I would love to see more of this. Well, I Um, think definitely now they have to make more because it did so well. Well, they so we got into an argument about this. Um, I, I, we'll leave this off before the spoiler stuff. Uh, before we get to the spoiler stuff, but they it seemed like they were setting up for sequels, and I was texting you like the sequels are going to be insane, and you were like, "No, those were just teases. Like they're not doing sequels." But Matt Reeves from the jump has been saying sequels, and like well, he wants to he do wants sequels. To That's different than you're going to get a sequel. That he's going to get a sequel. Well, now he is. Yes, because it did yes. so well. And but did you see the news today about the TV series? So that's something else I was like just about to get to if you will let me talk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so one thing I was getting more and more jacked up about like while I was watching the movie and was just loving this iteration of Commissioner Gordon is the Gotham PD show that Matt Reeves is producing. And then like he so he announced it as a Gotham PD show at the DC fandom thing uh, a few months back and People were like, I think people were a little bit skeptical about it because we just pretty much got a Gotham PD show and that Gotham adaption. But the more I was watching it, the more intrigued I was like, especially like with everything they do with the police department in this world. um, I think a Gotham PD show would be even more interesting. But Matt Reeves, after it all came out, finally, he was like, yeah, so I was writing it and it turned into it somehow turned into more of like an Arkham Asylum funhouse horror thing. And I was like, that is fucking cool. Sounds shit. way better. <laughs> it also fits into the ending of this movie. I think both. I mean, both of them sound great. I don't want to say one is better than the other, but I just love horror shit. And like so. the So there's like three ways you can do Batman villains. And this one is like. This adaption is almost doing all three at the same time because it can be either like super campy and goofy, which we've seen, super grounded and realistic, which we've seen, or like almost a mix between the both with a horror element added to it. Like, I think that's what this Riddler is. It's a, like he is like at sometimes a fucking weirdo goofball in this movie. Like, I, I think you can clearly say <laughs> Very that. Very goofy. But then he's also like a really sadistic serial killer at points. And then also sometimes he's in the middle and just being like a straight up horror villain who uses elements of the comedy and sadism to just be like, you know, like almost like a Pennywise the Clown horror villain, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think this Arkham, like the reason I said Funhouse is because like if you've played the Arkham Asylum games, like um, in those games and all th- three of them, it's the which I don't think the third one should have had this main villain, but it's the Joker in the main in the games and all three of them as the main villain. Well, he was amazing. It was Mark Hamill. He was incredible. Well, yeah, I'm never gonna complain about Mark Hamill. I just think the third one, it was like it was like all right, he's we're done now, you know. Oh, when he died and he was just kept yeah, coming but back. But he was like in his brain. Yeah. I was like, all right, come on. Yeah. We've we've done we're done. Um. Right. But. Uh, oh, and in the Arkham Origins game, it was Black Mask, and then they were like, nope, it's actually the Joker. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, man. Um, Mark Hamill just needs his money. 
I think it – well, I just think they want Mark Hamill to yeah. get that money. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Mark Hamill just loves being I think it goes Joker. both ways. But um, – so the reason I say – I can imagine – like the only view of Arkham I have is from that Arkham – original Arkham Asylum game where it really is like he took Arkham and made it into like almost like a circus and it was just like all over the place. And I feel like that's the best adaptions of Arkham we get. Not even when like the Joker is like running things in it. It's when all these characters are off the walls and like just truly insane and losing their minds. Like, you know, Joker's not the only one who like laughs maniacally like that. <laughs> so right. many of his villains are like finger twirling, mustache twirling, maniacal laughing villains. Well, yeah, it's and Arkham I, Asylum. You can have like literally any villain you want. Which yeah, is awesome. and just be fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, let's. We're gonna jump into spoilers here. So, if you don't want to hear spoilers, if you haven't seen it yet, we are going. Just, just fast forward. I'll put like a timestamp in the break to where we start the. In the, in the, I'll put a timestamp in the description to where we start the back half where we talk about the Hurt Locker. Um, um, does it say before we get into spoilers? We both like okay. the movie. Oh yeah, I fucking loved it. Yeah. Just for oh people who are on the fence, maybe about seeing it. We both Here, well, really let's liked it. okay. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's do a really quick non-spoiler thing, real quick about it. Um, this is the take of Batman that I have wanted for so long. I think Nolan like all, tried it a little bit, but wouldn't fully commit to the idea of him just being a straight up like detective and focus a little bit more on like the action of it and a lot more on Bruce Wayne as a person. But this one is straight up like. He's just starting out. He has let this entirely consume him. He is not only a very good detective, but he was working to become a better one. And he doesn't really fully know what he's doing. He just knows he wants to be Batman and kick people's ass, and he's very, very angry all the time, and I loved it. Yeah, same thing on my end. Um, I just I, I don't read the comics, and I don't know much about, like, oh, mm-hmm. this is really Batman. Um, but I really, really loved how this was just completely different from anything else we've seen, and that's really all I wanted. Um, so as, like, I, I've got, like, a decent amount of experience with the comics, like, he typically starts off, like, in every – because, like, DC reboots their shit and, like, will be like, oh – we have this world ending thing happen and all these universes get collided and then we have flashpoint paradox and all of it gets reset in the way it's supposed to right. be. And then they just restart it and they kick it off and they pretty much tell all these stories again in different new ways. And so typically Batman, especially when he's alone and doesn't have a Robin yet, he is like when he's just starting off, this is all he does. Like he is doesn't care about anything else. He doesn't even sleep because during the day he's just reviewing fucking boxes and files and shit like that, which he does in this movie. And he's not paying any attention to his stuff as Bruce Wayne. Um, and like, he's literally like, I just got to get back in the suit and do this thing. Like, this is all I want to do. And eventually it's weird. The, uh, and then it's something like this where a threat that he's never faced comes up and he gets fucked up pretty bad by it. And then, but like the more like the more of these threats that start to rise up and the more used he used to like being this very dark persona he gets he is like the better he gets at like hiding it you know and the more comfortable he gets with like playing both roles and so and then when he gets a robin like he tends to honestly and like especially when as the bat family gets bigger he'll get he gets like funny and becomes like a father figure 
but like also like when shit gets really bad and like if a robin gets hurt or captured or something like it's like darker than you've ever seen before my main point of this is i want to fucking robin in this world <laughs> i do too actually i think you could be so good Ugh. i just really want another live action dick grayson because i love nightwing i was rewatching some of the uh DC animated universe Batman movies after I watched this one and not, and like Dick Grayson is just so charismatic and like funny and it's such a like especially when Bruce is like trying to act like a hard ass all the time it's such a funny like dynamic they have uh it's so great love it I need more uh, but yeah all in all we both love the movie visually and sonically mm. it was really amazing I mean, one of my favorite, probably one of my favorite scores of the last, like, at least five years, if not longer. Ugh. And also, like, seeing, like, another thing about the score is, like, I think the only two scores within the last 365 days that really, like, I immediately hooked me were Dune and this movie. And, like, yeah. they both sound so good on huge speakers like that. They do. Oh, man. All right. Do we want to do spoilers now? Sure, let's get into it. All right, I'm gonna give five sec or ten five seconds for you, for you all to to skip away to the timestamp I give you. Five, four, three, two, one. Man, we're getting a new Joker. <laughs> That's the first thing you bring up. So fuck you if you didn't skip. <laughs> I warned you. Nobody could get mad and say I didn't warn you. I mean, like, I groaned when I first figured it out. I was like, ugh, again. But no. I feel like now that he's doing the Arkham Asylum, he's going to use him in the show, and I'm totally okay with that. Okay, so I want – I don't want show yet. I don't want show. I don't want him in the show. I want maybe a little bit in the show. I'm fine not, with it, yeah. I'm fine with nothing at all. Definitely not in the second one. Yeah. Stay away from the second one. Third movie. This is a third movie villain. Yeah, I, I'd rather, yeah, either down the line or in the TV show, but not anytime soon. I want, if he's in the TV show, I want, like, maybe two minutes of footage total in, like, the <laughs> eight episodes or whatever it is. And it'll just be him, like, watching, like, security cameras pulling the strings from behind. And that's all we know. And we never even see his face. I don't even want to see his face. I just want to hear his damn voice. That's all I'm... I've, don't want to see the make. I don't want to see the Joker makeup. I texted you this until the end of the second movie. Sure. The uh, so yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I I really don't want to see him at all. We're too Jokered out at this point. We've had too many Jokers. Whatever. But I when I when I figured out it was Barry Keegan that got me yes. even more hype because That's fired I up. think he's going to be an amazing Joker. Um, I texted my friends who like didn't really know who he was. I was like, uh, just go watch Killing of a Sacred Deer and see if you think he can play a creepy motherfucker. Yeah, and his laugh was pretty good. I I loved it. Um, I knew who it was immediately, and uh, I like, did not know until way after I looked. Oh, up. you couldn't tell? No. Oh man, I was like, ah, oh, it's fucking Barry. I just saw him be. Druid. I, re I recognized <laughs> the voice, but I didn't. I didn't put it together. Um. I had all of my friends text me right after and go, so was that supposed to be the Joker? And I said, yes, it is. At first, it I thought it was Two-Face, but then it yeah. the Joker. Well, okay, so here's a very interesting thing about Two-Face is they kill the DA in this movie. Right. A Gotham DA dies, which who could step up? Yeah. Harvey Dent. Um, 
so I don't even think that he's supposed to be the Joker yet. He is not the Joker yet. Is I, I think what we're I, I was lo- reading something about it. Like he's not the Joker yet. He's just some random guy that got put in Arkham. I think he gets out and he becomes the Joker, or he's like, th- or he's planning it in the pro- like while he's in Arkham right now. Yeah, I don't know if we know for sure because I remember Matt Reeves said in an interview he confirmed it is the Joker. But yes, we also it's, it's cre- I, he's credited as random Arkham prisoner, but that could also well, just be because of spoilers. Yes, that's exactly what that is. But what I'm. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying it isn't the Joker. I'm saying he is not that fully realized persona yet because I think yeah, if, it's not even Batman's fully realized yet, right? Like, and also like we're in amateur world. If we had had a if we had had a Joker, like he would not be this experienced when trying to take down this this Riddler plot. Right? Like, he he would have had some more serious shit to deal with already. Right? Um, man, I loved Paul Dano. He was easily the best part of this movie, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know if he's the best part of this movie. I think like the aesthetic as a whole and the Gotham as a whole was the best part of this movie for me. Okay, fair, yeah. Because I well before okay, I'll say this really quickly. Um, this is by like the best comparison I got of this was like Matt Reeves has like this dark, almost like dark noir, but slash modern blended idea of gotham that he's trying to get across in your across and christopher nolan's was i don't know it's just fucking chicago like <laughs> which is a great comparison of them because yeah. every time i see wide shots of gotham and in, in the dark night and stuff or he's driving especially in that scene um where the fucking accountant is leaving you know the television station and he speeds up the the lamborghini to stop the guy the truck from hitting him or whatever right and he's going under the elevated train in chicago i'm like that's just chicago what are we doing no yeah visually reeves took it to another level and greg frazier too Mm. cinematographer uh i think a black and white cut of this would be fucking sick I don't know. I don't know. I I think the orange teal that they used throughout this was beautiful and really made the film yeah I, Dude, that I can see why Black and White could possibly work because it's a noir movie, it's a detective, right. it kind of fits with the genre. But I don't know. I want. I think it'd be way too dark. We it was already dark as is. I don't think it would work Black and White. But also, I think that orange just really, really helped with the feel of the movie. There was a couple. Like I, <laughs> every time they like use the strobe lights in the club or like gunfire to light him up, I was like, this is just this is so fucking sick. Especially the elevator scene. Oh man. Yeah, he was always in the shadows. I mean, he said it in the beginning of the movie, "I am the shadows." Um, right. And they really did keep him in the shadows the whole time. He was never fully lit ever. Neither was really um, anyone, but it worked really well. So until the end, when he grabs a flare gets all those people out of like the debris and gets them all to the roof of the Gotham square garden, which I <laughs> yeah. name that a little bit more yeah. creatively. I, I, that one, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. We didn't try it all there, yeah. but, <laughs> but then he's standing on the roof, fully realized in daylight. And like, it's where like he starts off, the movie saying like I am vengeance, I am the shadows, and all this shit, and like yes, that is part of that character. Mm-hmm. That is the part he is supposed to represent to criminals. That is what he is to the people who are trying to destroy, hurt the city. But to the people of the city, he is also supposed to be a symbol of hope, and that's what that that is the like 
it's like in Spider-Man Homecoming when he lifts all the debris off of himself and he's like, come on, Spider-Man, you can do it. like shit like that. That's becoming Spider-Man. The flare and standing on the roof, that is becoming Batman. That is when he realizes like what his real mission is, I think. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. And then I, I don't I, I, like it's at that point where like. I don't I, I I don't maybe I'm just making up this I don't think he says it actually but it's like where almost where um the bat symbol instead of like while it's also this fear thing for villains it's like people out on the streets at night feel safer cuz oh he could be watching you know it's like that kind of thing right and it's also like it's it's like in the Dark Knight franchise, when people look, they he is a, seen as a sign of hope, I think, to the regular civilians, which is why the cops aren't going after him anymore. And I think they even meant, like Gordon even said something about like the light in the sky means hope for a lot of people. Or and um, the the Robin in that in that uh, thing definitely says Batman was hope for him and all the orphan kids. Yeah, I mean, I think that the like first like 20 minutes of the movie kind of set that up um by the way which is easily my favorite part of the movie the first like 10 20 minutes oh my god it set him up perfectly when you just go around to like different villains just doing or not villains but just random uh thieves or whatever just like messing around gotham people on the street and you just see the bad symbol you see them looking up you see them all looking in the shadows but they can't really see anything you can just like see the fear that they they feel and then he just slowly emerges from one of the shadows, and it's such a good introduction to the Batman. So, um, Christopher Nolan did a very, very similar thing in The Dark Knight, like when like it's all the people out on the street, and they're like, ah, nah, I'm not gonna buy these drugs tonight and stuff. Yeah, this is so much more effective. Way like, I don't more because it was. I, I think it's a suspense. It was the build up for this. That one wasn't really a build up. It was kind of just like, oh, here he is. This one, it was just with the music, the tone they set. Like, it was silent in the beginning, too. There wasn't really any score. And just slowly built up with the steps and, like, the bump, the thumps, I think it was. Um, The only sounds you really hear in the beginning are the fucking hammering of the mayor's head. Right. And then the duct tape ripping and shit like that. Right. And then it's silent again, and it's rain, and it's, you know, cars driving by, random thugs you know talking to each other and then you start hearing the score yeah building up slowly building up (laughs) um did you notice i didn't notice this i just had it i just found it from the internet do you notice what the name of the score store the guy held up in the beginning of that was like who was wearing the weird like pumpkin mask did you know what the name of the store was um no it was named Good Times, and the guy was dressed like Robert Pattinson's character from that movie. Oh, that's a least drag. That's ex- cool. Ex- except for the except for the pumpkin head, he didn't wear a pumpkin head. In yeah, that movie. Um, that's cool. That's a little Easter egg. Yeah, I mean it was awesome. Um, shit, I fucking love this movie. The action and the sound design on the hits and shit on the punches was so good. I didn't even I was smiling. I didn't care as that as much as I thought his footsteps, just like throughout oh, yeah. the whole movie, paired with the score, was just so well done. Like just, just slowly, just like it's kind of goofy. You're just like he just walked like very slowly. Just dum, dum, dum. That's all you hear throughout the movie, and it works so well. And just giving off this like amateur Batman vibe, but also like just showing not telling. He just like he just you can feel his presence without him actually saying anything. Um, I love 
the absurdity of a guy dressed like a bat standing at a crime scene. Like I, it was not, it was like, I know, I think they intentionally kind of played it for laughs. Occasionally oh, 100%. This movie was very, around. very goofy throughout the whole thing. You're like, it's like, he's just panning around to all these cops taking samples and Robert Pattinson's just standing there. Um, Somebody made a really great point because I was kind of thinking about the steps too and how he was walking so slowly. The contact lens recording thing—he was not—he was moving slow so he could record everything. Mm. Yeah, I could see that too. I think he was I also just doing that. it to be menacing. Like he's just like an amateur and he's I just mean, like, "I'm gonna walk like this because it looks cool." It all plays into like effect, like into the same like I don't know the same goal, and it, it all ends in the same goal of being a more effective Batman. It's like the menacing, but also. Like you, you doing it, like helps your pre- helps you give off this presence, but also you're getting better evidence and recordings to review later on. Right. Yeah, which was an interesting feature. I thought it was uh, it was very great. I thought it was a really cool way to and a very modern way to have him like review evidence, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But also, I loved the we're getting into these files, Batman. Like we're reading records. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was a little goofy when he like moved all the furniture in his house, and started spray painting his floor and doing all that. But that's it the worked. unhinged shit I love. Yeah, it we are works. fucking crazy, Bruce Wayne, right now. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very amateur. Um, but it it worked really well. It was nice to see that versus like uh, a specked out Batman who knows exactly what he's doing and is one step ahead and whatever else, which we usually so, see. There was a prequel, I don't know if you knew about this, there's a prequel novel that came out that like had an introduction to like Paul Dano's character and Bruce and the Bruce Wayne. They of made world. it specifically for the movie? Yes. Oh cool. It was it's like it's only like a hundred and three pages or something. It's not a very long book. But I have not read it. Is it I, a book or a comic? It is a book. Okay. It is a, a novel. And so uh a, one of the coolest things I found out was um Bruce Wayne, like, on top of all the, like, he did all this martial arts training, particularly with Alfred when he was little, because Alfred in the comics is usually some form of, like, former SS spy, you know, like, MI6 spy and was in the Royal Guard or whatever. So he's, like, he's he's with the shits, you know. He's, he's, he's no slouch. But he trained Bruce in martial arts, and Bruce did his own uh, training. And then he also, like, learned how to be like a precision driver and would do street races in Gotham and was like really fucking good at it and built his own Batmobile out of like a normal car. Well, yeah, we saw that. No, I know, but I don't think like, I think I, 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 but we didn't know that he built it is what I'm saying. I think we knew it was pretty amateur. I mean, it looked like just like a Mustang. Yeah, but dude, he put all that crazy shit in it. Yeah, I also That's loved when he when he bill. first got in it how he had to like rev it a few times a bunch in order to get started. Like it was really really amateur school. Best Batmobile in my opinion. It looks so good. Uh, yeah, I it d- looks very retro. It's cool. Got a cool um, look to it. I. It's just uh, this. I and I love. I still love the Nolan films, but this movie like really highlighted the stuff about the Nolan films I don't like. Like I've ne- I never liked that Batmobile. Oh, I love the Nolan one. I just it's. I, after watching like the animated series, the original animated series, you know, from like 89 to Mm -hmm. like 94 or whenever it went on and like the comics and stuff like the Batman, the Batmobile is usually like this sleek, you know, 
thing designed to easily maneuver and this is like a tank that we're just rolling over cars with and i was like right it, it, it does it didn't capture the subtlety of batman i think that uh, people are more used to seeing mm. yeah but I this that. but this one like it's it blends in so much easier and then he can like punch on that fucking rocket on the back and we're going like i just i don't know it felt it felt better to me um and then I saw, I heard somebody, one of my friends saying, like, I was like, I think they might do Mr. Freeze next. And he was like, ah, but he doesn't feel grounded enough in this. And I was like, did you see the movie? Like, this is what I'm talking about. It was a good balance between grounded and reality and also, like, the weird comic book shit that we're doing. Like, because he just had a bulletproof suit and we never heard why. That was awesome. Yeah. Like, yes. I'm totally fine with Batman just being bulletproof. That's another thing we found out in the novel. Though. One thing that always bothered me, I mean, this is just like a, a trope in general that always happens, but I noticed it more in this movie, I guess, because he was so like amateur and his suit was kind of a little amateur as well, mm-hmm. was that why don't and why doesn't anyone just shoot him in the fucking face? Like right in his chin or his jaw. No one aims there. Well, do you know, uh, this is another comic book thing. His chest, the one of the points of the bat symbol is to look like a fucking target, but that's where his armor is the strongest. Yeah, but what does so it have he, to do with his jaw or his chin? It's natural. It naturally draws your eye, so you're trying to shoot him. Like it just. It oh, just, oh. Like it's one of those things on villains that like it's it, it for some reason just acts as a natural target. Yeah, it's just funny it's that a, like this is like his only bare skin, and they never yeah. shoot there. But um, oh man, there's another little thing that I love. Like he'll he and this is a part of the Arkham games. You know, he uses that cape to disorient people, and mm-hmm. he does it in this movie. Yeah, I've never seen a Batman do that before. He's like just throwing his cape at people and then punching them when it moves. He had a badass cape. (laughs) Oh, he had a great cape. He had a great cape. Um, I had his wingsuit was cool, but yeah, I I didn't like the way they shot it. Honestly, there was something about like that GoPro angle that just like bothered me throughout all. So the trailer shot of that was like, did you watch any of the trailers of this movie? No. I don't. It's okay. I I did. Um, they gave away a decent amount of stuff, but like seeing it in context was completely different. Yeah, than yeah. Seeing it in the trailer, but in the trailer shot of that, it was him standing on the building with the cops like swarming around him, and then him jumping off, and then it was the office shot of him flying by, and I thought it was gonna be more shots like that, and then when it was the GoPro thing, I was like, all right, that's not as good. It just threw me off because everything else was, like, so beautiful looking, and, like, the shot itself was, like, it was beautiful, it looked nice, but it just didn't fit with everything else. It just felt like he was literally wearing a camera on his helmet and was just flying, like, one of those wingsuit Red Bull GoProers do. Right. It didn't fit. One of my favorite things about this movie, like, even the darkest batman comics like there's it's a fucking guy dressed as a bat there's gonna be funny shit about it this movie was effortlessly fun we already mentioned it was like pretty goofy at times just effortlessly funny and like i i don't want to draw the comparison between the marvel shit like i've seen so many people doing like i've seen people using this as a way to tear the comedy style and marvel down we already knew that come on what we already knew marvel's comedy sucks i i like I mean, I I don't fucking mind witty quips and shit. My favorite superhero is Spider Man. Have you read a Spider Man comic? Like, it's we're all gonna Scooby Doo this shit. What's yeah. the Batman say that? <laughs> Take, yeah, we're gonna um, Scooby Doo this. I, I I don't like the the discourse going on though of like using this to tear it down. Like when they're two just stylistically different things, you know? No, yeah, it's like apples to oranges. You can't. 
it's just it's fucking dumb. Like I sent you a video yesterday of some guy going like, "I wish there was more funny lines." I don't know if he was. I think he might have been being serious. I I don't think he was. Was that that for, Twitch streamer? Yeah. No, nah, he was totally baiting. One hundred percent. I don't know. I don't he know because I've seen tons of genuine stuff like that, and then people being like, "Oh, I'm so glad we didn't have the Batman turn around and be like that happened." And I'm like, it makes me think that like this is gonna become. I hope it doesn't, but it's going to become the new Dark Knight where people are like, see, Marvel fucking sucks. Look what happens when we make a serious movie. Uh, I think it's always, it comes with the content. Like, it's just, it's going to happen no matter what. Probably. Um, lame. It's lame, though. I don't like it. Just but yeah, no, this movie was, was really funny. I loved the, how the Riddler was a fucking Twitch streamer. Why must we fight over <laughs> over superheroes? But no, yeah, man. The <laughs> hey, guys, make sure you like and subscribe and comment. That was awesome because, like, that's what the fucking supervillains are now. It's people with Twitch streams. Like, that's what it is. It really threw me off when they were like, oh, man, he has 500 followers. Like, <laughs> that's nothing. <laughs> Why are you guys freaking out about that? No, but I, also I think it was effective that, like, those 500 people all were in Gotham and were super, like, I, I get what they were going them. for, but yeah. it's just funny to hear him say 500 and I'll be, like, shocked. Like, oh, my God. I was waiting for 1,000 right after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I, the interesting thing to me was is that, like, this Riddler had almost three different personas. He had the one, you know, the, if you are justice, please do not lie, that one. And then he had... The, hey, thanks for following and subscribing. That was sounded like a pretty much normal guy. But then I think when we see the real him, which is him in Arkham, face-to-face with Batman, that's re- – because he's not, hey, guys, you know, thanks for subscribing. He is fucking crazy. He's unhinged and, like, talking really fast and laughing when he's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. And I, I was – the biggest thing I was scared about was people comparing this to, like, a, a, one of the jokers we've gotten when I think it's completely different. I think people are just going to hear lots of laughing and just be like, Oh, he's just trying to be Joker. It's completely different feeling. I, I get the comparison, but no, he was a completely different character. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't even seen that comparison, which makes me happy, but it was just something I was worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I'm sitting there like, Oh no, I'm already going to have to hear about this. But like, Oh my God, he was so effective. And then when you think that he's figured out that he's Bruce Wayne, like, and then you see, like, that's some of the best acting in the movie right there is Pattinson with his fucking eyes when he's just, like, thinks that he knows that he's Bruce Wayne. And then he's, like, and then the, like, reveal that he doesn't actually know. And he just, he, like, becomes immediately less tense and more confident. And, like, instead of, like, he was turned and side-eyeing him. And then he turns and fully faces him and, like, just gets fucking angry. It's amazing. Yeah, that whole scene was uh, really, really good. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, But another thing, so the Riddler is one of the people who, like, figures out, like, he figures it out kind of quickly sometimes that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Like, I don't know, in the comics. Mm -hmm. So one thing I thought of is, what if he does know? But he doesn't want to show that show his hand to Batman in that way because we don't actually want know anyone if he else to know. does or doesn't know. We never what really if figured he does, it out. Yeah, exactly. Like, what if he just doesn't want to show his hand to Batman that he knows who he is? Yeah, and the Riddler's always been one step ahead. So, like, that's yeah. That, why would he play that card? He's gonna use that to scare him. 
and then like make Batman think he's back in control. Right. Also, this guy, this Batman, kind of fucking lost. The city got blown up. The seawall got blown up. The city, massive amounts of damage was done to the city. Tons of people died. They didn't get the mayor, or the mayor-elect, because I don't think she ever got sworn in. But the city was blown up. He didn't act. He didn't. He didn't stop the biggest part of the plot in time. Yeah, um, that's like the one kind of like gripe I had with this. I still loved it, but. I feel like it turned into a different movie as soon as like Falcone died, and th- and then like when the Riddler's arrest happened, I feel like the studio kind of took over there and was like, all right, we need this big action set piece, we need to destroy the city, we need to have fighting and all that, and it just kind of turned into not a detective film and more of an action film, which well, I get because it's a superhero film and you need that, and I still liked it, but it just totally just totally shifted. What it felt like to me was the all the dominoes that the Riddler had set up falling into place. He gets himself arrested so he can get this meeting with Batman because mm-hmm. he knows that he will come meet with him. He knows this will happen. Right. I didn't um, mind that scene. It was kind of like right after that. No, no, no. I know. But like, and then it's all this, like it's him realizing how out of his, this control, out of his control, like this got, like how far this got away from him. And it's like, uh, although it's clearly not as big as a fucking set piece, but it's like seven when oh, it's John 100% Doe like seven. John Doe turns himself in. He's got the la- he's he has John Doe has the upper hand. Like you know, <laughs> like he did it. He won. He beat Batman. And Bat- of course, we got Bat. We got a great. I loved the action sequence. It was some really cool, like him going wire to wire and shit, like fighting all these guys. Yeah, it was done well. I the worst the absolute worst takes I've seen on have you have you seen he he injects adrenaline into himself right people are saying that's venom oh I did read that yeah like the Bane venom get the fuck out of here he hasn't fought Bane yet shut up no yeah it's adrenaline I think that Wait, was pretty clear I they were like oh it's because. It was green. I was like, adrenaline's... Have you seen adrenaline glasses? They're, gl- they're green. Yeah. It's like a green tint. And then, like, and he got really angry after it. And I was like, because the adrenaline got a hold of him, and he's an angry dude. Like, what are you talking about? It's just a terrible take. Just reaching. Fucking stupid. Um, yeah, I also want to give a shout out to, um, Selena Kyle. I thought she did. I was about to say, we haven't even talked about Zoe Kravitz yet. Yeah, she was incredible. She did a great job. Um, I oh thought, I thought her writing in some places was a little iffy. I didn't like how she got into like politics and it was like a little surface layer. And I was like, what are you doing here? Um, well, I understood that because that part, cause she's like a Robin hood, like she's typically been a Robin hood type character. So I get that the stuff that was a little bothered- surface layer and corny for me. I don't the know. stuff that bothered me about her writing was like at times uh, she got turned into the exposition machine. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. She just kind of started like spitting stuff and I was like, wow, okay, I, I see what you're doing, but like, come on. It didn't feel natural at all. And she was like, and then 10 years ago, this thing happened. And I was like, yeah. all right, man, I get it. Like we got to do it. We got to find a way to we do it. We have to destroy creative. the rich white people in charge. I was like, oh, okay, come on. Well, that was that was the part I understood because that's she's a Robin like like I, like that's like a thing that she does a lot, mm-hmm. and in the comics, I will say like, the chemistry she had with Batman was oh awesome. shit yeah that was great oh my god but 
uh, Selena Kyle is typically like we gotta like, and it's even part of like her thing in the Dark Knight Rises is like why should these people have more than us? Like I'm like I'm gonna steal from them and give it to my friends and myself, mm-hmm. and we're gonna like these people like you know there shouldn't be all these lever- levels of to, um, to the like, social classes or whatever, but. It's it's just the ex- exposition machine that happened to her a lot, and it also happened to the penguin a lot. I feel like like just being the exposition machine. A little bit of the penguin, but I didn't mind him. I think because he was just so Colin Farrell was amazing as the penguin, so it was fun so to watch. Good. Man, um, didn't even look like him. Not at all. Props to the makeup prosthetic team because they Jesus knocked it Christ. out of the park. Oscar, Oscar for them. Makeup, maybe that's the one thing I could see. Um, but it's just it's too early for the award season. Getting that cinematography Oscar narrative pushing already and the score. The score was so good. The score okay. The 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 the, the crowning the Oscar moment for both of those things is the upside down shot from the penguin's car as he's walking up with the fire behind him and the score is just fucking rising and it's oh my god. No, it's a fantastic score, and cinematography obviously is incredible. It's Craig Frazier. Um, mm. I'm not saying that they don't deserve the Oscar. I just think the release that it came out on, it's and it's a superhero film. It has all the stuff going against it. It's not likely that it's going to get nominated. It's just too early. They they put it out in March, and barely any March movies ever make it to the Oscars. I'm pushing this narrative all year long. Actually, we'll you're right. Mor- Morbius is going to get the cinematography. <laughs> Can't wait. Just wait until I get to start pushing my Jared Leto train again. <laughs> I get the, I get, I'm hitching my wagon to a Spider-Man villain and Jared Leto. Come on. Uh, <laughs> one thing in this movie that made me laugh really hard, like not purposefully, but I, I'm, I'm curious if you thought this too. When Batman and Catwoman were giving their like goodbyes at the graveyard, and then they drove off in their separate ways and like turned the streets and, they and went up. Uh, yeah, I immediately thought of Fast and Furious Eight when Paul Rocker, Paul Walker, and Vin Diesel did the split. Seven, seven. Sorry, seven. Get them right. Um, but Bible. I, I immediately that whole time because they like stretched it out. They had the score. It was silent. They kept driving, and I'm like, this is Fast and Furious. What are we doing? Yeah. I kind of thought that too. I was also, <laughs> I was also, I was mostly thinking like cliche, like, oh, we're going on our separate paths. Yeah, like yeah. I, I get it was like on purpose. It was like amateur, it fit the vibe, but I was like, oh, come on, <laughs> this is fast great, and furious. Great closing shot though, like when with him on the motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I did like well the, closing shot to his narrative, and then we went back to Arkham. But. Yeah. I did like the motorcycle shots. Those were like a little bit GoPro-y as well, but they did some cool stuff with the mirrors. Um, it visually looked really interesting, and it wasn't just like a attached camera onto a motorcycle. Um, we talked about the Batmobile, uh, but that was a top-notch fucking car chase. That was a really good car chase, you, yeah. You know me. I love a car chase. Uh, all about a car chase. That was a great car chase. Mm-hmm. Great car chase. Oh, man. Super well done. Ugh. Jesus Christ. Fucking pound. My heart was pounding. All right. Do we have anything left? No, I think we both really, really like this movie. It was nice to see <laughs> a refreshing Batman. Um, it's kind of like an art house Batman, too, a little bit. Um, 
Fucking it, indie indie Batman. And it's great. More. It's great. We're both huge Batman fans. It was just great to see a three hour long movie, Batman movie, um, do super well too, which is awesome. My uh, I will say this is my last my last thing before we get to what we watched this week besides this movie. Um, thank fucking God we skipped the origin story. Yes, I was super happy about that. I was wondering if they're going to do like a flashback or something, but we did not get any of it, which was awesome. Batman and Spider-Man, you know, everybody is pretty ubiquitous. Like Spider-Man well, did it too. It was interesting that they talked about Bruce's parents a lot, and they kind of switched it up from its usual self. Like it, it he didn't seem like he they got killed by just like a random person. No, I think in the end it it, it did come out to be a random person. Like Al- Alfred was like it probably wasn't some like Falcone's just telling you that to like, oh, get to you. Okay, right, right. That's what he said in the hospital. Like, yeah. Um, what I was thinking about though is that who was the guy in the funeral scene when he heard like he heard. He was standing there, like, listening to the guy talk about, like, oh, this city's, like, corrupt and needs to get turned on its head or something. And the guy looked at him and said, like, do I know you? And stared at him for a long time and then backed away. Right. Yeah, we never got any answers on that. Well, my first thought was Joe Chill, guy who killed – Joe Chill is typically the name of the guy who killed um, uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne. Oh, okay. And my first thought was, like, I wonder – if we see that guy again and if it is the guy who killed Bruce's parents. That was my first thought. It was the guy who killed Bruce's parents. Yeah, maybe. I like how they left it just like a mystery and didn't show everything again, which was great. Also, I heard shit about the gun that is like he his bat symbol is made out of a gun. I the one I on heard, his chest? Yeah, it's a gun. It's the it's it's a broken down gun. Okay. Like it's it's not a fucking gun that he can use. It's yeah. just um, but I I heard like some somewhere on the internet was like oh this is supposed to be like the gun that it looks like a gun that got split in half and then they like the handle you can still clearly see the handles kind of that touch in the middle and then like the barrel part of it filed into bat wings, um, but somebody was like oh that's the gun that killed his parents and I was like that would be kind of a cool thing here i just sent you a picture like where you can kind of more clearly see that it's a gun but i don't know about that yeah it's a cool little easter egg i don't know i don't know if we'll ever get that confirmed but it would it would be a cool idea because i imagine that would be like the gun like locked up in evidence or something and he just got to it right yeah i don't know very cool would you watch would you watch this week besides this movie what did i watch this week um I watched a new A24 movie, After Yang, which also stars Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell's on a hot streak right now. He does not look the same as he does in this movie. Not at all. He looks like Colin Farrell <laughs> in this movie um, and speaks like Colin Farrell. Um, Great accent. I love Colin Farrell's accent. Yeah. Um, this movie was amazing. I really, really loved it the more I think about it. Um, I didn't know how I felt about it at first because – my my gripe and i guess it's still kind of a gripe is that i wish we just explored this world and these characters more and they just they cut it off because it was just it was an intentional cut off and they left everything very open ended but and the more i think about it the more it made me think about the movie itself and i think that's why i ended up liking it more um mm-hmm. but it was really cool to see a futuristic movie 
with barely any technology. We don't see like one screen or like phone or anything. It was very, very cool to see that in like a futuristic setting. Um, but definitely very A24, very cool, very like gentle, somber movie. Um, definitely worth a watch. Um, otherwise, that was the only other movie I watched. I finished Genius, the Kanye series. So, episodes one and two are like masterpieces. They're incredible. And three is kind of like an epilogue because it just shows like the downhill that Kanye's been having recently. And it's just, it's really sad and devastating to watch because you just see this huge uphill battle, this superstar, and you see him rise to fame. And then when his mom dies, you just, you see the downhill spiral and it's just, it's really sad to watch. It's like a, (laughs) as much as like he he compares himself to this guy, but it's like a Shakespearean tragedy. Basically We, we see this guy come up with the rise of fame and then, and then fall down and we'll see where he goes on from from here um and then i've been watching the, the super famous anime series attack on titan which is on its final season right now and my oh my it is one hell of a final season this is the opposite of game of thrones final season it is on a <laughs> hot streak right now every episode is incredible and just topping the next one they better end this on a good note. There's a few more episodes left. If if they fuck it up, oh my god, I don't know if I can go through it again with what happened with Game of Thrones. Um, but if it ends on a good note, this is seriously one of the best TV shows of all time. It's it's incredible. Um, so yeah, that's what I watched. Um, I watched the Batman and then watched nothing but Batman adjacent things for the rest Hell of yeah. the week. I was so fired up about like how good of an adaptation it was. I went back and I like I watched. Um, all the DC animated universe stuff, which is like mm-hmm. um, son of Batman, bad blood, um, Batman versus Robin and Batman hush. I watched those. I did. I finished and I finished up the first half of season four of young justice. That show is mm. on break and should be returning soon. Um, but yeah, I was just on a DC kick pretty much until I watched the Hurt Locker last night. I had something else that I tried to. I, I should have written down. Yeah, after I, after I watched the Batman, I did kind of want to play the Arkham games again. Like, oh, should I go back into it? Oh my god, I was itching to play those again, dude. Yeah, itching for it. I couldn't do it. I played them way too much, so I need to take a longer break. Um, I think in the next couple of days, I'm going to watch. I'm. I think I might watch Drive My Car tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, West Side Story to my, tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, Drive depends, My Car is worth the watch. It depends on if I finish my my book tonight or not. I'm mm. currently reading Salem's Lot, up and up and coming film this year, written by Stephen King. Um, Definitely watch Drive My Car. It's on HBO Max. Three hours. Hey, most of these people listening, you just watch the three hour Batman movie. Watch Drive My Car. It's worth it. Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent even though i haven't seen it yet but like watch i'm just my point is like watch more foreign it's crazy movies. because like i had friends that were like didn't want to watch drive my car because of the three hour length and i'm like just just you'll get hypnotized by this movie just trust me and then they watched it and they got hypnotized by it there's something about this movie that just hooks you instantly and you're just it doesn't let you go to the end it's amazing um let's you know trans. i i did so I, I wanted to mention one movie that I added to my watch list that I think that I, I am going to probably not soon, but will someday try and watch. It is a 1971 picture, uh, part of the French new wave movement we had. Um, 
and it's called Out One, and it's following the May 1968 uh, civil unrest. Uh, hang on, sorry. Uh, a deaf mute and a con artist simultaneously stumble upon the remnants of a secret society, and the secret society is like a theater group, pretty much, and um, yeah, and it's just it's it's supposed to be very good and kind of crazy and shit and uh it's 12 hours and 56 minutes long i was just gonna ask you that because I, I looked it up and it's a 12 hours holy shit i want to, it's um it's 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 very intriguing to me it's, it's basically a miniseries good yes but i want to watch it all in one go good luck with that son <laughs> like i've probably especially like like the way I think about it is like if I have like a day where I'm like really sick and can't do anything like ripping it like I've watched 12 hours of TV before like I could probably right like I could watch a 12 hour movie. Wow. Yeah. It's probably like the first miniseries of our time basically. Yeah. Very cool. But shit. It's intri- it's it's intriguing to me. But yeah, let's and get to like, our let's get to our future. Okay, sorry. I was about to go on more about Out One. All right. We are going to go take a quick break, and we will be back to talk about The Hurt Locker. Hey, everybody. It's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor, Album Book Club. It is a book club, but, you know, for albums and uh, they have weekly picks that they put out on their Twitter at Album Book Club One, and they uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, it can range from hip hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop. It's all over the place. Uh, it's a great way to discover new music. I've been following them and working with them for quite some time. They also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com. They just put out an issue with Osar and Paris Price. Uh, they have great merch over there. It's all great-looking stuff. Um, definitely check them out. Give the Twitter a follow. Give the page um, a look. It's great stuff. You're not going to be disappointed. Good way to discover music. Let's get back to the movie. All right, and we're back. It's time to talk about the 2008 picture, The Hurt Locker, starring Jeremy Irv. That's your part. You do it. Who's <laughs> who's in it, and what's it about? The Hurt Locker, Best Picture winner of 2010 Oscars, I think. 2009 Oscars. Movie came out in 2008. Oscars. Correct. Um, during the Iraq War, a sergeant recently assigned to an army bomb squad is put at odds with his squad mates due to his maverick way of handling his work directed by Catherine bigelow written by mark bowl and this stars uh i was just the top three jeremy renner anthony mackie and brian garotti i guess you pronounce it you fought um, your way through that one <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, a couple Gar- of little small roles from guy pierce ralph viennas and evangeline lily um, all right, so this movie was extremely well received. It was it's a ninety five Metacritic, um, and the reviews of it are I mean pretty glowing for the most part. New Yorker 
uh, said a small classic of tension, bravery, and fear, which will be studied 20 years from now when people want to understand something of what happened to American soldiers in Iraq. Uh, Entertainment Weekly, the result is an intense, action-driven war pick, a muscular, efficient standout that simultaneously conveys the feeling of combat from within as well as what it looks like on the ground. Uh, let's see, one more good one to grab real quick. Um, New York Magazine, which is now Vulture, said the Hurt Locker might be the first Iraq set, Iraq set film to break through to a mass audience because it doesn't lead with the paralysis of the guilt-ridden yank. The horror is there, but under the rush. And I'll read one um, from Variety that is not as positive or glowing. Uh, Bowles' script stirs a little of everything into the pot, which boils down into seven set pieces divided by brief intervals of a camaraderie, camaraderie conflict among three protagonists. So, I mean, that's accurate, but that's yeah. why I liked it. Right. So I think that was a really smart way to set this movie uh, yeah. around these seven, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's like seven bombs um, pretty much, S- starting with one that isn't around Jeremy Renner. Uh, the most, one of the most interesting things about this movie to me is Catherine Bigelow because she's kind of got a weird career. She starts off as a, she was a painter in like the seventies. She really, oh, wow. really wanted to be a painter and it did not go well. And then she just went to Columbia. Uh, she had a minor role in Richard Serra's video prisoner's dilemma and then she did some real estate stuff and made some money and then enters the graduate film program at Columbia and got a master's degree there. And then she was like, all right, I'm going to start making movies. And her first kind of big movie was called Blue Steel, which was this cop movie um, starring, uh, what's her name, Jamie Lee Curtis, and there's like a serial killer chasing her down. And then she does another cop movie point break with Keanu and uh you know and Patrick Swayze and Gary Busey you know everybody everybody knows point break and then she does some stuff that does not it's not as big she does a couple episodes of tv shows and then uh she does like a short and then she does the hurt locker and then she does Zero Dark Thirty right after. So there's this four-year period, pretty much, and maybe six if you take it from when the Hurt Locker probably first started being developed, where she's for some like really interested in the Middle East and what is going on over there. And I cannot find anything about why she was so interested in the Middle East. Oh, it's re- interesting. It's a really like, isn't it? kind of strange that she just all of a sudden was like ju- like just jumped into like this very w- weird violent masculine world and was like this is what I'm going to make my masterpieces in cuz like both of those films were really really well received. Yeah, I-, I liked both of them too. Um but yeah, that is really interesting. Maybe it could just be like someone just trying to find their niche, you know, like she's exploring all these different little topics and then she somehow landed on like the Iraq war, just the war in the middle East and what was happening. And she fell in love with it and she decided to make a movie about it. Yeah. Cause Iraq is her lockers, Iraq and then zero dark 30 is mostly focusing on Afghanistan and Pakistan and looking for um, Osama bin Laden. But it's, it's, she also apparently has a thing about like these, like, 
her biggest films are four movies about th- three about men and one about a woman and it's just like people in traditionally masculine positions of power who have guns yeah it is really interesting for a female filmmaker to take on um but she did a great job with it and i think uh, she yeah. really tackled the the topics really well from multiple angles and not the ones you would expect. Like, I feel like if, if a guy directed this, it would have been a completely different movie. And I, I think she handled the characters very well in this movie, especially the three main characters. Cause they're all very complicated and they all have like their own little arcs. Um, and I feel like we, this would not have been as character focused if a male director directed it. Right. Um, I think you, you see, you think if it's a man, it's probably more focused on the shooting and the bombs and stuff. 100%. Yeah. I think she bought her own That's unique fair. perspective to it. That's fair. Um, I'm just looking at like kind of lists of war movies right now on Letterboxd. And like a lot of these, like especially the ones that are like 10 to 20 movies long, don't typically include the Hurt Locker, which is interesting, I think. But like, Pan's Labyrinth is on here. I guess that's around mm. a war, but it's very, it's very interesting. This uh, see, because like I'm try, I'm trying to think. So war movies, we talk about, we've talked about Oscar bait a lot, particularly recently. I think war movies are real big Oscar baity, right? Yes, they are, but. I feel like at this time, war movies were not Oscar bait. Okay, well, this is, hang on. Before, okay, this is, I accidentally started leading us down a path I don't want to get to yet. All right, uh, but Jeremy Rennie, Anthony Mackie, Anthony Mackie, not Anthony Mackie, Jesus Christ, <laughs> and Brian Girardi. Girardi, God, I, I can't do it either. Um, great. Brian Girardi, underrated in this movie, I think. I think everybody remembers Jeremy Renner and Anthony Mackie the most because I think they get the most play, but the moment the small moments with brian Dratty, who's like the one who's experiencing the most of this like ptsd and mental stress and like the moments with him and the doctor and then when he finally just kind of like fucking breaks at the end of this movie right before he's on the helicopter are so good i definitely think he was the best character in this movie he was definitely the most complicated um and i the what i didn't love the therapist scenes because i felt like it was a little forced and so the, the writing on those scenes were just like he was kind of just like explaining his like mental reasoning of like what he was doing and i get what they're trying to do but i i every other scene when he's in the midst of the action and we see his facial expressions and what he does i feel like that ex- it like expressed his character so much more the first one i did not c- completely love but i thought the second one when um he's like fixing up the Humvee yeah. was really, that one was really effective to me. I can't, I should have written it down. He had one quote there that just like fucking hit me. I could, I can't remember what it is now, but Jesus Christ. And then when he get take, he's like guilts the fucking therapist into coming out with them. And then the therapist gets blown up by an IED that they didn't spot is just, Oh my God. Yeah. No, I, I, t- I totally get why they're doing it. They're setting it up, but I do think his his action scenes were a lot more impactful. Yeah, uh, hit, when they're in that like crevice with the snipers yeah. cracking all around them, that was really really effective. Yeah, super well done. Um, just seeing him 
um, when Jeremy Renner was kind of like taking lead and just kind of directing him. Should Jeremy Renner have won Best Actor for this movie? Jeff Bridges won it for a movie called Crazy Heart that I do not remember in the slightest. I think it's a Western. It is. Jeremy Renner was really great in this movie. Um, what were the other nominations? Colin Firth and A Single Man, George Clooney Up in the Air, and Morgan Freeman Invictus. I I loved Clooney Up in the Air, but... Uh... I love a Jeff Bridges Western, but I... like. The the memorable movie of this year is not Crazy Heart, so I don't know like if that role like was as impactful and was impactful enough to win the Oscars. That's but that's why we talk about the Oscars, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen that movie, but I I love Jeremy Renner's performance in this. I thought he did a great <clears throat> job, um, and I I love his character too. Like he ne- never really expressed himself at all. The only right. time he really did was when he was talking to the baby at the end. Well, hang on, pause that for a second. I want to get, I want to get to that in a second. Okay. Um, I think the only, I, th- I think, but in, <sighs> Jeremy Renner was really good in this movie, but I think, I, I, I don't think it's his best. I think his best is what we got out of him for the town. Oh, I definitely, Which he won definitely the not his best. Okay. Definitely yeah. Not his best well, that's role. also that was something I was trying to get at. Too. Oh, okay. No, this is definitely not his best role, but I did think he did a great job with this role in the movie. Are we in agreement that the town is like when he's like throwing a hundred and like on it completely? Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite performances from him. I maybe Wind River. I think he's. Mm, I love him in Wind River. He is great in that movie too. Arrival. Oh, I completely forgot about that. He's fucking great in that movie. Yeah, oh, I say town and Wind River. And also Arrival. It's top three. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy that this is this is a really good performance and it's not even top four for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I love them in American Hustle, too. Should Mackie have gotten supporting role nom? I'm hit or miss on Mackie. I don't know. Mackie, he always gives like a good performance, but he never gives a great performance. I kind of thought this one was pretty great. Especially it it was end. good. His last, his last scene on their like second to last day or last day, really, really good. He always delivers. He's never given like a, a really bad performance in my opinion. He always delivers, and in this movie, he delivered well. But I was never like wowed by him at any point. So you're not wowed by him in his appearance in Ant Man and Ant Man. I'm gonna say Ant Man and the Wasp. <laughs> um, I did love his the drunk scene though when him and Renner were fighting. Ooh, I think Jesus. he did a great job there. I kind of forgot about that and made me like kind of catch my breath for a second. Because I've seen this movie a bunch. I watched Same. it. A, I watched it a lot. Um, you know, kind of around when it came out. I mm-hmm. uh, particularly because I had a, a buddy of mine who his both his parents were in the Marines, oh, wow. and like this was just one of their movies that they had on DVD, and like um, we watched this all the time. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times, but I haven't watched it in a long time, so it was, it was a good refresh. I haven't seen it in a while either. Definitely not since I've been in college. I think I probably watched it. Yeah. The last time I probably watched it was in high school. Um, now I'm going through Anthony Mackie looking for one where I can say he was really, really good. I can't. I like him in Adjustment Bureau. 
He was great in that movie. It's fucking aw- that movie is so slept on. I can't wait. Underrated. We're gonna, we're gonna do the adjustment beer pod one day, and I'm gonna like that's that's gonna be the last episode of this pod is when I finally get to talk about the adjustment bureau for an yeah, hour. I'm with you on that. I love that movie. <laughs> that will be the finale of the ABC movie show. <laughs> it's the adjustment bureau. Either that or heat is when I like will finally fully transcend. Um, Ray finds. As a little he I he his little pop up role when he's the the you know the head of the guy out, out in the desert the head of that little squad out there and he just yeah, so shows it's like up. a nice little surprise yeah yeah and he shows up and he's like really good for five minutes and then just gets his shit rocked and mm-hmm. it's like such like because I, I think like you've seen obviously people get blown up but you haven't seen combat in that movie really. You saw, like the first and only death I think you've really seen up to the that point in the desert is, um, the the first uh, it's like Guy Pierce who plays the first uh, you know bomb squad defuse diffuser guy for the yeah. for the bomb squad, and he um his the I, I had forgotten about the blood splatter out of the back. Of, uh, did you mm-hmm. notice that in the mask? Mm-hmm. But it's not. As personal, I think, as when you see somebody get shot like that. Yeah. And because, you know, it was just kind of like, a you know, a debris field going up and then a blood splatter. And you're like, OK, he, yeah, he's dead. This but, is, yeah, this is the first gunfight. So we see somebody get drilled in the back. And then a, I think a couple more, one or two people get picked off from there. And then Ray Fiennes gets the Barrett 50 cal in his hand. And you're like, all right, he's about to take quick work of this. You know, he's a wise cracking british dude who's like clearly been running like secret ops in the deserts of iraq like he knows what he's doing and then he just gets drilled and like for everybody in that scene and us it's like a like catch your breath like oh my god it kind of pulls it out of you you know yeah you're um, like, this is war we're getting into it now right and that scene as a whole is so fucking tension filled um yeah, it was great because like all the scenes before that were just like bomb diffusing, but those were right. all insanely intense as well. And yeah, I think that's one of like the big um, pros of this movie is that for the little things, just like diffusing a bomb, like yeah, that's intense in itself. But Catherine Bigelow, Bigelow does such a great job of just making these scenes so so intense with like period. You seeing all the people like watching, you get your perspectives of like every single person who's in the area and just what's going on and how like intense the situation really is. And then we get to this gunfight and it's just as intense, which is which is great. So I thought it was intense in very different ways and I think the best way to yeah. like describe it almost is like the the bomb stuff you're holding your breath, but like when people start getting picked off in this scene, it's like snatching your breath away from you, you know? Mm, yeah. Like especially when Ray Fiennes gets hit because you're like Oh, that's a like it's somebody you recognize, man. Like he's Voldemort by this point. Like even American audiences know who this guy is. And like Yeah, there was no like there's no score to tell you it's supposed to be intense. Like it was just right. silent the whole time. Like he's just boop dead and then you're just like you're on your edge for the rest of the time. They're like cracking jokes about it. Uh, like uh, they're cracking jokes and then they get in this tense situation, but and like one thing that you're constantly thinking about too is like okay, these guys are so much better prepared because these are just like random dudes mm-hmm. like that they're fighting. Right. And it's and, you know, a lot of this, it was hard not to watch this movie and like kind of think about like the Ukraine shit going on because 
it's obviously we weren't well hopefully we weren't really invading to to take over the country like i don't think that was a goal of ours but sometimes it's just regular people who join the like almost to defend their homes in a way yeah no, even though that's it, the iraq stuff is a lot more complicated than that but that's what a lot of these militias were were just regular people and so when you're watching a scene with somebody you know so well, like Ray Fiennes, who pulls out this massive piece of equipment and they're all dressed in like, you know, this these military special ops style stuff that we see versus the shot, like when it shows right before they kill Ray Fiennes, it's that shot from the little house they're camped out in and it's people just in their civilian clothes with a shitty little old Russian rifle that was left there from the wars fought there in the 80s. and. Yeah then all of a sudden Ray Fiennes is just gone. And then we have to get the mag out of the gaping hole right next to him. And then, oh man, we got to clean it off because it's covered in his blood and it's jamming. And in that moment, it gets like very, very real. It's crazy. It's a great scene. Mm-hmm. Ugh, Jesus. All right. So... All right, let's kind of get to the context of this movie. And so, all right, we talked about this kind of during the break. This is around the point, you know, the end of the Bush administration where people are starting to come around on maybe we shouldn't be particularly in Iraq because the the new idea now is that we kind of we, – we, we obviously did not like Saddam Hussein, and he's a, he was a very, very bad person and did all these – atrocious things to people in Iraq, but we kind of use the panic of 9-11. The thinking now is we use the panic of 9-11 and this threat that maybe Saddam Hussein has WMDs to get in there and kind of like install a government that would be more beneficial to us, especially in terms of like dealing with the whole oil trade in the Middle East. Um, This is right before that thinking kind of started becoming super popular, you know? And this was, I think, the right time. Like, this was, like, the perfect flash-in-the-pan moment because we were just far enough away from the beginning, and it was right before the end of this, like, very, like, Amer- like a, a, a pro-American, pro-war kind of vibe that we had in America, and it was, like, the right time to put out an Iraq movie. Yeah, it was you definitely know? perfect timing. And especially one showing this much of, like, the mental effect. Because... Like, it's not shy about showing like like especially like the the toll it takes on american soldiers not only you know seeing their friends die and them having to kill people who even though they're shooting at you it's not hard it's not easy to shoot back at somebody and then civilians like the 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 things that we were doing over there was vastly impacting the normal everyday people over there yeah, I think that was definitely the focus of the movie, too. Right. It didn't want to be as much as, like, a war movie, as much as just, like, what's happening to the people who are in the war. Right. If that makes it's, sense. It's not, It's not. I don't think it is pro-war at all. Oh, but, no, it's the opposite. But and no, also, because, I mean, the, the quote right. in the beginning was, war is a drug. And this movie really focuses on addiction a lot, too, especially mm-hmm. Jeremy Renner's character. And we see that when he goes back to war at the end and he just, he can't get enough of it. He was like an adrenaline junkie almost. So, but my thing is, I think the reason this movie just cut, like, I don't know, watching it now, it, it kind of 
comes off a little bit as such Oscar bait because when you think about how perfect of a moment that was for a movie like this, and then it's not super positive about the war, but it's like framing it in uh, this is just the job and like we have to do it. And then it's also focusing so much on the emotional state of soldiers, which is an important and interesting story to tell, but it's also like a right emotional card to play at this time. And I think everything fell into place for this movie to get recognized by the Academy. Yeah, but I also feel like this movie helped create that Oscar bait type of war, of war movie. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. I think a bunch of movies. So but, I, I don't, I don't downplay it because of so, that, you know. So, but and this is another thing about it to me is I think that's what Catherine Bigelow was almost doing again with Zero Dark Thirty because perfect flash of the pan moment. This movie went greenlit as soon as we got Bin Laden, yeah. right when it happened. This movie was starting to be made and it came out pretty quickly after yeah and also like you can you can see that the her locker i mean back to like how she had this like strange past you can see that as like the her locker is really kind of like her first movie in a sense Mm -hmm. because this movie zero dark 30 and detroit which came out like two years ago all have very 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 similar styles and right. she kind of like honed in on that and that's like her like her focus now like that's her style and it works really well i wouldn't call it her first movie because i think point break is obviously like a super successful well-known film. yeah I i'm just saying for like her like her niche I'd style that she like developed yeah yeah it's more of the beginning of a new chapter sure but yeah i th- i do like directing the style aside i think that she saw the success the success she had with the Hurt Locker and the Oscars she got, and then she like got the Zero Dark Thirty script, uh, or it was actually like her writing partner who wrote it, that mm-hmm. Mark Bull guy, who writes everything that you know she does pretty much or mm-hmm. has recently, and like I, I don't know how quickly they got on that script because he died. Osama bin Laden was killed May second, and then December nineteenth, May second, two thousand eleven, December nineteenth, twenty twelve. This movie was out. Yeah, that's they a were really quick turnaround. Like, mm-hmm. I think they like were like, okay, we can like we know how to make a Middle East war film. Like, why not try to go get another Oscar like this? Um, I don't think they had Oscars in mind. I think she was just I, she was I, already I, super into the war that was happening, and she had her style, and she was on top of the world, and just said, "Let's do it again." I, I think I think they definitely had an Oscar in mind, but interestingly Maybe. enough. Another, this was this 2013 Academy Awards, which is not what we're focusing on right now, but the 2013 Academy Awards, that was Argo. Yeah. Which is one of the ones that like people kind of look at side-eyed now. I would actually love to be able to talk about Argo again. I watched that recently. You put it in a poll. It is better than people give it credit for, but it did beat Django and it did beat Life of Pi and it did beat Lincoln and Zero Dark Thirty and Les Mis, like all movies, like very, very highly praised from that year. Mm-hmm. Like it beat out a, Ben Affleck beat Steven Spielberg that year. What the fuck? <laughs> Who beat Spielberg? <laughs> and it was Ben Affleck. <laughs> um, but that and interestingly, and Catherine Bigelow and um Quentin Tarantino back to back. Like they were, they they both had an Oscar Best Picture noms in two thousand eight and two thousand thirteen for movies. Mm. That, I mean, or two thousand nine and two thousand thirteen because um, Bigelow did The Hurt Locker, and then four years later does The Hurt Dark Thirty, and then 
um, Tarantino does Inglorious Bastards, and then four years later, Django. Just inter- real interesting yeah. dynamic there. I so I'm looking at it. I think just looking at the list in terms of it's honestly insane to me. The Blind Side didn't win Best Picture this year, but really. So uh, that movie just felt like it lit people on fire. Maybe that's because you know I'm I'm like grew up in a town where there's an SEC school and football is like. Well, no, I, I definitely think that like became a classic afterwards, but or not a classic, but just like a movie everyone watched. Yeah. But I I think the biggest shocker here is Avatar. Honestly, right? Avatar is one. Uh, well, the only reason I I, I wasn't. So Avatar, even back then, was getting the criticism of, like, this is a story that's been done to death. And, like, um... Oh, but before you go into that, I'm just going to list off the nominations that year. Um, So it was, obviously, The Hurt Locker. And then Avatar, the animated movie Up. Then Up in the Air, George Clooney one. District 9, Inglorious Bastards, A Serious Man, and Education, The Blind Side, and Precious. So the Blind Side, I if if you had asked me in 2008 2009, I probably would have said told you the Blind Side's gonna win because that just felt like it had the most like Oscar feel good Oscar bait buzz around it. Mm. Um, the more so in the moment, like for 2008, I like looking back on it, Hurt Locker totally makes the most sense. Like flash in the pan, perfect timing for everything. Yeah, but I think in the moment. People might not have been as hot on war stuff, you know, like it's probably not something that people really wanted to be thinking about, especially not in the way that she showed it. And then um, but The Blind Side just like such a feel good movie for the time, like especially like in 2008, like we had a housing market crash and like a huge recession, like a feel good movie is like what I figured people would have wanted not not the Hurt Locker. Um, yeah, but the Oscars tend to go towards like more impactful and shocker movies versus like true. feel-good movies. Um, all of this is to say... And political. I, all of this is to say I, I'm not a fan of The Blind Side, and I'm glad that movie lost. It's that a fun movie. movie. I fucking hate it. It's aged so bad, in my oh, opinion. Oh, yeah, it's aged poorly, but it's still fun. Especially the more you find out about, like, Michael Orr, and he's like, yeah, that's, like, not what happened at all. Oh, yeah, like, no. It's, it's complete just, ma- made up. He's, he's like, that's just totally not what it was like in the slightest. Yeah. Uh, um, I think out of this crop, District 9 is aged the best, right? There's been a big District 9 hive popping up recently. Well, yeah, District 9 is, yeah, one of, one of the best movies here. Um, yeah, I, I would say so. I feel like when District 9 came out, though, it, I feel like it, why do I feel like it was very niche? I think it was. I don't, I didn't watch it when it came out, so I don't know. Um, but I, I loved re- it when I watched it. So I didn't watch it when it came out either. My memories of that movie are posters on the outside window of my blockbuster by my house. Yeah, I do remember seeing posters for it. Of, like, just the big spaceship hovering over the city, and I was like, that yeah. is a very, very interesting-looking film. Mm-hmm. And then I, like, saw a trailer, and I was, like, 10, and I was like, this is scaring me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Aliens are freaky. <laughs> um, Up is a good shout here, although that's not one of my favorite Pixar movies. Yeah, it's a good shout. Up good, in the Air I'm... is great. I liked Up in the Air. 
I haven't seen that movie. Glorious Bastards, classic. It's a good Oscar year. Good Oscar year. Um, yeah, I guess Hurt Locker deserved it. Um, I don't know if Yeah, this I'm not is, mad at that decision at all. I, I think maybe, not us, but I bet like in future the discourse will be like, Avatar, like after we get our tenth Avatar movie, the kids will be like, "What the fuck is the Hurt Locker? Avatar totally deserved that. What is this snub? You know, <laughs> Avatar two this year, baby. Um, Jesus fucking Christ, I'm going to see Aquaman two instead. Bad move, man. I guarantee you're not. I guarantee you're not. I will bet you a hundred dollars that I am because I am so excited for that movie. Um. Inglorious Bastards aged beautifully. That's a great war movie. That is one of my favorites. Yeah, also a war movie, right? Yep. Um, wait, sorry. I'm just. They made a a seven minute. They made and released a seven minute. Uh, Stalls their nation, the hero of the nation film starring Frederick Zoller. So it's Brett. It's the Daniel. Remember that? That's the movie that Goebbels wanted to premiere at uh what's her name's theater and in, in where they burned everything down the movie was that like daniel Bruhl's character oh, playing oh. himself yeah they shot it or seven minutes of it and eli roth directed it i didn't know that nice that's crazy all right let's get back to the her locker though sorry i was i was getting into the oscar talk i mean we're doing oscars yeah we're doing oscars um what was your favorite um, bomb defusal? Yeah, bomb defusal. I guess the first one or the first one that Jeremy Guy Renner Pierce? does. Oh, no, okay. the Jeremy Renner one because when he, I I don't know why, but I remembered this movie very differently. I f- felt like when he picks up those bombs and like six of them pop up. Yeah, I feel like I watched a cut of this movie where that like is fades to black and then all of a sudden it's a different point in time and then we see that bomb get diffused later i don't know why that's like in my head i never thought that it clearly does not exist but like it's a weird weird thing no that's that's a great one because yeah just like you said it starts with the one and then that it's a it's a great shot one of the best shots in the film where it's an overhead shot overhead of him just pulling them all up and you just see the bombs surround him and come out from the dirt it's Crazy. really, really well shot. What I think my favorite is, I think the car one. I think the car one is the car the one's best. great. Just oh. because it, the build intention there is incredible. Because it starts in the car, you realize that the diffuser is not in the spot you thought it was. He's like searching throughout the car. Um, Anthony Mackie's yelling at him through the headphones. He throws off the headphones. He can't take it anymore. It's super stressful. And on top of that. You see the bystanders, and the bystanders like one's filming, one's on top of a tower. They're waving to each other. There's like a whole another scenario going on, and you're trying to figure out that while Renner's trying to figure out the bomb defusal. And it's just it's, it's crazy, and it's just so well done and super intense. And you're on your edge of your seat your entire time because you have no idea what's gonna happen. Um, yeah, the, then the guy with the phone who just runs down the building, and I love that scene when Renner like knows it's the the guy who had like the phone, and he's like, uh uh uh, I got you. The biggest thing, so with the bystanders, especially around every bomb, like uh, at this point, I was reading a lot of books like about Afghanistan and stuff, or maybe Iraq, Iraq and Afghanistan, or maybe it was probably a little bit after this. But like 
when we were over there and it's what I was talking about earlier, like people, everybody dresses, you know, similarly, even the people fighting in the war. So you don't know who is a threat or not, which is unfortunately why so many civilians got killed because a guy standing any standing around with a phone, it could either be a detonator or it could be, he's taking a picture. Mm. And that's why, that's like why in that very first scene, um, the blonde guy, I can't remember his name, was so hesitant to shoot the the butcher or whatever that was standing there watching because it could be yeah. you know, you don't know what he what he's got the phone out for, right? It's just it's a- added to the trauma of the guys who went over there in so many ways because it's constant paranoia that anybody around you could be potentially ready to kill you, mm-hmm. and then also if you fuck up, you just killed. A, a normal person yeah i think the most tragic one and i guess the most hard to watch was oh. the, the suicide bomber yeah that's renner's renner did a great performance there just distraught i can't save you yeah i'm sorry uh yeah it's hard to watch but it's it's the brutal reality and it really like is in your face about how brutal war is um and then also the whole sideline with the kid, the DVD kid. Um, that was terrible, man. I don't know why, but also I thought that was actually Beckham. I thought it first. I, same thing happened to me. I, was I, like, I believed it again. And then he showed up, and I was like, wait. Yeah. We, that feels like they were – I feel like at some point they were supposed to be – No, it was it was just to show like – Was he supposed to think the entire time that was Beckham? Yeah. No, it's just showing like the, the effects of war that like – he went through all this and then like he goes like he goes at gunpoint to try to find out who did this and he realizes it's not him and you're just like wait what what am i doing right now you know like it's just showing the effects of war and what it has on people and like these connections that you make with people and now they're dead you know I, f- I feel like i've read something where like that is the kid that played beckham but it's supposed to be like oh know, it could be like he's hallucinating imag- hallucinate. like yeah. he just sees a young kid and automatically assumes it's the one that he knows. Yeah, that that could totally be it too. And then he goes to back to the base, and you know, he Beckham doesn't show up for a few days, and he's like, "Oh fuck, yeah." Yeah, it's just showing the effects on war that it has on people. Um, but I also I love the scene with the DVD with Beckham and Jeremy Renner, and they're they're goofing around. Right. I love when Renner offers the kid cigarettes, and he's like, like and he vows to take it, and he goes, "Nah, what are you doing? Don't smoke cigarettes. <laughs> um, don't fucking smoke." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Great little scene. That's a great one. Uh, but then, you know, the he comes finally comes back around and he's trying to hang out with his friend again. And he's like, uh, he just realizes, you know, I can't get attached to anybody yeah. over here. You know, nobody is safe. Exactly. I'm not safe. Nobody's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. The last monologue. You love playing with that. You love playing with all your stuffed animals. You love your mommy, your daddy, your nature pajamas. You love everything, don't you? And then he says when you get you know by the end of it when you get older maybe it's only one or two things that you really love with me i think it's one and then there's that brief cut to black and you're like is it going to be him staying at home with his son or him going back to defuse bombs it's the bombs you knew it was coming i mean it was the opening quote where is a drug he was just addicted just in it, it's it. like it's it just, like i love that juxtaposition because uh, for people who haven't experienced war like us, like obviously, like hell no, we would never want to go to war. But then these people go and they like they, they attach to certain things, and you just see the juxtaposition of like how tragic and brutal war is, and how people still want to keep going back to it. 
I think, and I, I mean, this is complete speculation. I don't like, obviously, I, especially for JB Renner's character, part of it is the adrenaline of it all, which is why he gets in the suit and doesn't use the drone, you know, goes and he's like, I'm going to defuse all these by hand. It's definitely a, a part, partially an adrenaline thing for him. But mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of it for other people is the idea of your contributing and you're doing something good and then not only that well, you've yeah, got yeah. you've got to be there to protect your brothers in arms you know it's the closest comparison I, I can always think of is like playing on a football team which is like obviously not the same but it's still like you know a, a violent thing where you're hitting other people but a lot a big part of like the motivation especially that coaches will use is like you're not doing this for yourself you're doing it for the guy you know, especially like particularly on the offensive line, they'll say like you're doing it for the guy in the trenches next to you. Yeah, like that's what I heard all the time. Like, you 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 think you have a a duty to be there, uh, because you've got to be there for your brothers in arms for the people that aren't back home. No, one hundred percent. I agree with that as well. And it's a some, and it's probably something the military does on purpose, man. They're like, you got to do this for the people next to you. No, like, yeah, one hundred percent. It's just ugh. Military industrial complex. Awesome. Can't wait till we're drafted. <laughs> Gonna be looks, coming up soon. It looks like a good time. <laughs> uh, this movie hurts me, man. Like it's so sad. It is. And I forgot how sad it was too. Like yeah. Anthony Mackie breaking down just kills me and he talks like he talks so it's it's and it really really hurts when that's the juxt like it's the last the last you see of anti Mackie in that movie is the last you see of Jeremy Renner in Iraq until the very very end and he's like I want a son like I want to like you know I want to like love something that much and care about something that much and Jeremy Renner's just silently talking and then he's in the supermarket and it's like like as like which is so effective I think because yes going from the Humvees uh, and like coming back from defusing a bomb and then being in a supermarket, like is the two biggest opposite ends of the world you can be on. Yeah. And he's like choosing, like debating which cereal you should get. And he doesn't fucking know. He's like, I don't, there's so many options. And then like, but like when you're over there, like you get what the army gives you, like you don't have all these choices. Like your choices are made for you. The only choice you really have is like what wire to cut on the bombs. And then not even that. you got to cut the certain wire or dead. Well, but he doesn't know. That's why he doesn't always know. That's why it's his choice. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, I think he kind of acknowledges that a lot of it sometimes is luck. Like, he's just like, cause yeah. especially when, like, shit's like, he's just like, it looks like he just, like, is between two things. He's like, right, fuck it, this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the most, it's, 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 I think for him, this feeling of, like, being com- totally in control of your own choice but out of control of your own fate that is this weird drug to him you know because like what it's like you know what if i read the wires wrong yeah exactly god that last i'm just i'm looking at the quotes that last um monologue is so good that was jeremy that this movie might not be a top three for him but that scene is a top three for him because that just fucking hurts me every single time it's so sad the baby gave a great performance too. Baby killed it, dude. It was a cute baby. Great baby. It's a very good baby. Evangeline Lilly, 
underused in this movie. Pretty big name, especially at the time, dude. She was a yeah. star of a major network television show, and they just had her in like three scenes in a phone call. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if she's friends with Bigelow or something. She just I did don't know. this for fun. Um, it is a weird little cameo to have. Was it Evangeline Lilly and Lost? Yes, she was. Okay, I was mm-hmm. just making. I, I was. IMD, I forgot IMDb sorts by the last year of the show and not the first. Yeah. And it ended after the Hurt Locker came out. So when it wasn't there before, and I was like, wait, <laughs> oh no, I was wrong. Um. Yeah, weird, weird shout for Evangeline Lilly. Weird, weird one on the IMDb. I, um. All right. One last little thing, I think, because I'm I'm pretty emotionally drained by this episode. But something I thought was interesting, James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow were divorced. Uh, I forgot year. they were a thing. Yeah. And so they were against they were going up against each other, and not only that, Cameron told Bigelow to pick this movie. Like to do this movie. What do you mean? It was James Cameron who convinced his ex wife Catherine Bigelow to direct this film. She had originally planned on doing another project uh, and wasn't sure. Okay. Cameron read it, told her to do this film, and it earned her an Oscar nomination and award for best director, which beat him. <laughs> Honestly, I'm sure Cameron is proud. I don't think he cares. Well, he apparently said before the Oscars, I wouldn't bet against her, but also, like, you're a huge yeah. asshole if you say, like, I'm fucking James Cameron. <laughs> that is know? true, but he, he's James Cameron. Like, I don't think he's <laughs> He's like, I made T2 and Titanic, man. What do you yeah, think? Exactly. I made some of the biggest blockbuster of all time. And, like, he also made Avatar, and it was the biggest box office of all time. So, like, he doesn't fucking care about getting an award. Oh, no. When Jeremy Ritter was carrying the, the kid that was the that had the bomb in him, like, obviously, they just he was carrying a kid who didn't have a bomb in him when he was going down those stairs. He tripped and fell down the stairs while carrying him on set in one shot. <laughs> Hope the kid oh. is okay. Well, the only, the only thing IMD, IMDb trivia says is shooting was stopped for a couple of days while Renner's ankle healed. healed. Nothing about the kid, though. I'm sure the kid was fine. Ugh. Um, James Cameron, another good shout. Uh, I think this could be the platoon for the Iraq War. First modern warm film before since platoon to win Best Picture. Wow. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think he was just talking about how like Platoon was a like iconic, um, you know, Vietnam War film. Yeah. There's a lot of iconic Vietnam War films though. Like, I wouldn't say pl- like is Platoon the definitive Vietnam War movie? I haven't seen enough. I mean, Apocalypse Now is fucking bonkers. What's the one Kubrick did? Strange Love? No, that's the World War Two one. No, uh, Full Metal Jacket. All right. It's a crazy movie. Oh, God, that's a draining movie. All right, do you have anything left before we talk about our future plans? No, this was a, a great movie, a great year for movies. Um, it was a nice little rewatch. Enjoyed it. All Very right. Intense. So the Oscars are the 27th, right? Uh, Sunday? Yes, it yes. is. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so... This week's Hurt Locker, and this this I was doing two thousands movies, two okay. thousands uh, best pictures. Um, so we have one more week because our our show, sorry, our show before the Oscars is our our Oscars like picks week, and we're talking about everything about this year's Oscars. Okay, and then so all right, we'll we'll decide here now. Do we want to do like 
2010's Best Picture nominee or Best Pictures winners, or do we want to do like one from 2010, one from 90, one from 80, one from 70? 2010s. Just do 2010s? Yeah. All right. Cool. And we'll talk about what we want. I imagine it'll include Parasite. Maybe. You don't think so? It's a little recent. We'll see, though. I mean, 2010s. I know, but we'll see. All right, man. You don't want to talk about Parasite? Maybe. <laughs> Just can you make it? Make no. Make a bold statement right now. Make a decision for yourself right now. All right, here I'll just read through what we have as choices, actually, real quick. So, 2010 was the King's Speech. I'm gonna say right now, I don't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> the artist Argo. So I'm thinking Argo can be one. Twelve Years a Slave. I don't know if I want to do that. Birdman, Spotlight, Moonlight, Shape of Water, Green Book, Parasite. I would imagine the ones that would be most interesting to us are Parasite, Shape of Water, Moonlight, Spotlight, Birdman, and Argo, right? Like, I don't yeah. really want to do 12 Years a Slave. It's a little heavy. <laughs> yeah, coming off the Hurt Locker, I think we're good. Yeah, Spotlight, also very heavy, but a really, really good movie. Mm, yeah, Just we'll talk about this. it after. Mm, Mad Max Fury Road should have won. Robbed. All right. We'll figure it out. You got anything left, buddy? That's it for me. That is it for me. I will, I'll report back to you on how amazing the Batman is in IMAX. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks for talking to me, buddy. Till next time. See you next time.